So as we are in our ninth part here of the series, uh, we think about uh, the things that, uh, you know, the dumb things that we think sound good uh, or sound smart, but that aren't actually true or that are not helpful. So as we've looked at several different things over the last several weeks tonight, uh, we're going to talk about something that is common to everyone. You see, in our pursuit of following after God, things don't always work out according to plan, right? Wouldn't you agree with that, that things happen in your life and you say, you know what, I kind of wish it hadn't happened that way. Or you have a situation to where you made a decision and it did not turn out the way that you wanted it to or that you hoped that it would. The Bible says in Proverbs 16, 9, in our, in our heart, in a man's heart, he plans his steps. But it's the Lord who directs his paths. And so, you know, sometimes we make decisions and we do things because we intend on good from happening. As a matter of fact, every decision you make, you make with the intention of something good happening, right? You, you don't make decisions and say, I hope this doesn't work out, right? You, you definitely want these decisions to work out. And unfortunately, that's not always the case. Life often includes uh, a series of difficulties and disappointments, something that the church often refers to as the valley. Now, I know it's just fitting that this would follow the weekend where Pastor Brian, who has the Midas touch, who would speak on the favor of God, right? And so now it's my turn to talk about the valley. So I'm going to talk to you about the valley tonight after we had this wonderful engine replacing story from Pastor Brian last week. You see, when we are in the valley, when these things happen, and we would all agree they happen often, here's what we do. We begin to question. And the reason we do that is a lot of reasons. One of the reasons is our culture. Uh, One of the reasons is our theology, our belief system, but we begin to question these things. As a matter of fact, there is a belief system called the prosperity gospel that says bad things happen to bad people, good things happen to good people, right? And so there's a belief system that says do the right things, good things will happen. Do the wrong thing, bad things will happen. And so we begin to question, and here's what we do. We question ourselves. So we begin to say, well, did God say that? Did I hear that correctly? You know, is that what I was supposed to do? Did I make the wrong decision? So we began to question ourselves. You know, a few weeks ago, I talked about how uh, we say, you know, all things work out to the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose, which is true, Romans 8, 28. But it doesn't mean that everything works out, right? In other words, every problem is not going to be fixed. Everything's not going to be solved, but that God works everything in accordance to his will. And so as we think about these things and we say, well, if I find myself in the valley and I'm questioning how I got there or what happened, we're going to walk through very systematically tonight. When you're in the valley, how do I assess where I'm at? So it'll be super helpful for you. You'll you'll have this handout tonight will be your take-home template, if you will, to say, okay, I'm in the valley. What do I do? Because here's what we do. We question ourselves. And more importantly, we question God, right? And we say, God, well, I thought you were like this, or I thought you said this. It it started all the way back in Genesis, right? So when the serpent told Eve to eat of the fruit, and she said, well, here's what God said. What did the serpent say? The enemy said, did God really say? And from the very beginning, humanity has been taught to question God. 
to question God. And so we're going to walk through that a little bit tonight. You see, the questions that we ask ourselves is, well, did I do something wrong? Right? Why am I in this situation? You know, so we'll refer to these situations as the valley for the sake of our conversation. But we'll say, why am I in the valley? Is there something that I did wrong? Is God mad at me? Is there, is there some situation that I don't know about? And this is where discernment plays a very critical role in our lives. Now, again, a few weeks ago when I talked about that, I talked about discernment. So if you uh, weren't here for that, it'd be helpful to go back and listen to that message. Because discernment is going to be very crucial for you in the midst of the valley. So for review, what is discernment? Discernment is being able to think biblically about your situation, to respond in a way uh, that God would have you to respond. That's what discernment is. And so we, we're going to look at several different scriptures tonight to cement these points home for you. Um, I put very few scriptures on your handout, but I will be reading some. And so if you want to uh, write that down as we go through. So in Acts chapter 16, in verse 6, Paul is on his missionary journey. And it says that they went through the region of, of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Now, eventually, which we're going to get to, Paul goes to Ephesus. But Ephesus is in Asia. And so the Bible says that Paul, on his missionary journey, is heading that way. This is the discernment conversation we're having here. And what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit forbids him from going there. So what does Paul do? He doesn't go there, right? And so he's hearing from God. He's discerning what God wants him to do. And so then uh, in chapter 18 now, it says that then they came to Ephesus, and so they didn't go at that point. Now in chapter 18, verse 19, they're there. It says, he left them there, but he himself went to the synagogue, and he reasoned with the Jews. And when they asked him to stay longer, he declined. But on taking leave, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. So God said, Paul, do not go to Ephesus. So what did Paul not do? He did not go to Ephesus. And then a few chapters later, the, the opportunity was given. Paul goes to Ephesus and he shares the gospel and they're receptive to the gospel. But what does Paul do? The Bible says that Paul leaves and he tells them, hey, they said, hey, please don't leave. Please don't leave. And so throughout this whole interaction, we see what Paul is doing is he's listening clearly to what God is telling him and he's responding not out of emotion and he's not responding out of selfish desire but he is responding through the Holy Spirit. That is discernment. And so Paul says, okay, well, um, God told me not to come. I came and good things happened. There's more things that I need to do. And so he left. So then in chapter 19, verse 11, Paul is back in Ephesus. It says, God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul. And in verse 20, it says, the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So how did he get back into Ephesus? Well, if you rewind to verse 1 in chapter 19, Paul was in Corinth, and it says that he passed through the inland country, and he came back to Ephesus. So now Paul's back in Ephesus. Again, things are going really well, right? People are being saved. Verse 20, the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. 
That's our desire for Michael Memorial Baptist Church. That's God's desire for your house is certainly what was happening in Ephesus. And so God had previously forbidden Paul, (coughs) excuse me, from going to Ephesus, which now that he's there, people are responding. The word is increasing. It seems as though that was the wrong thing, right? That's what human emotion would say. Well, wait a minute, God. Why did you not want me to come here? Because everybody loves the gospel and it's doing, you know, wonders in the community. People are really responding to this. I don't understand. So now Paul is here. He's in Ephesus. Things seem to be going well. And then things take a turn. Okay, so we're going to pick up in uh, verse 11. Chapter 19, verse 11 says, God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul. So that even handkerchiefs and aprons that he had touched uh, his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them. Evil spirits came out of them. And then we see in verse 13 that um, as the power of God began to move, the facade of the power of God. And so uh, evil spirits and exorcism and stuff, they were losing money because of this. And so they get upset about it, and so they start a riot. And so verse 21, these events Paul resolved in the Spirit to pass through Macedonia. And he says, after I will go there. And then in verse 23, there rose no little disturbance. For a man named Demetrius, who used to build uh, these little temple shrines to Artemis, and now they're not making the money. And so they get in this huge argument, and the city is thrown in this giant uproar. And so Paul's like, all right, I got to go in there and I got to fix this. Imagine the emotions of this. You have been through the exact same emotions in your life. That God, you thought God wanted you to do something or you, you obeyed God to do something and you followed through and then it seemed as though chaos ensued. And all of a sudden, here's Paul in the middle of this city, and God told him not to go, and then God allowed him to go, and now he's in the middle of it, and the word is increasing, and and things seem to be happening well, and then all of a sudden, the bottom falls out, and it's chaos and riots, and the city is in an uproar. So what is Paul to think about this? What is Paul to do about this? He finds himself in the midst of extreme conflict. He wrote the first letter to the Corinthian church from Ephesus. Now all of a sudden, here he is, this riot has broken out, and the disciples tell Paul, you are not going into the middle of this. So in verse 30, it says, Paul wished to go in among the crowd, but the disciples would not let him go in. So he had some people around him, which clearly he did not need to go in. And so Paul's discernment is working really well. And then he says, no, I can go in and I can fix this. So he's convinced of the decision to be where he is. And it seems as though now Paul has made a wrong turn, right? It seems that way because just a few verses earlier, things were going fantastic. And Paul feels like, man, this was a great move. And then all of a sudden, again, the bottom falls out. Now it seems to be wrong. He finds himself in the valley of life where opposition seems to abound. In Paul's life at that moment, it felt like everything around him had fallen apart. Now, we have been in those situations before. Maybe you're there tonight, that you're in a situation, you're in the valley to where uh, decisions, and we're going to talk about those in a minute, whatever the reason is, you're in the midst of this valley, and you're saying, okay, God, I don't understand what's happening here. Did I do something wrong? Did I misunderstand? 
what is, what is it that you're trying to teach me? God, I need clarity in this moment. Paul needed clarity in this moment. His circumstances appeared to indicate that he was in the wrong place. Your circumstances will trick you. And so here's Paul in the midst of this situation. He's found himself with all of this opposition. And so we ask the question, well, what, what was it the wrong thing for him to do? Is he in the wrong place? You see, many people assume Many people assume that following God always leads to the mountaintop, right? You get saved, you commit to follow Jesus, and everything just starts working out amazing, doesn't it? No? Either you're so scarred from the pain of it that you don't want to respond, or you're not listening, right? So we get in this situation, we say, I want to follow Jesus. That's when the battle ensues. Right? It's not when you just let your guard down. That's when you pick your guard up, that the battle ensues. But a lot of people believe that, well, if I just follow God, that he's just going to work everything out, which is the myth that we dispelled a few weeks ago. And then I'm going to live on the mountaintop that as long as I'm doing what God wants me to do, everything's going to be amazing. That is the farthest thing from the truth. Unfortunately, it's not true. As a matter of fact, Jesus himself said, in this world, you will have trouble. The better part of that verse says, but take heart. Jesus says, I've overcome the world. And so our hope is not in that our circumstances are going to be awesome all of the time. You see, a lot of people believe, and hopefully it's not you, but maybe that you believe that if you do what God calls you to do, that everything will always work out. And that you will always live on the mountaintop of life. That you're, it's just like playing Monopoly. Monopoly. You're always going to get to pass go and you're always going to get 200 bucks. That is not how life works. That is not how life works. And so tonight we're going to talk about spiritual urban legend number nine. A valley means a wrong turn. A valley means a wrong turn. And so there are a lot of people who believe that if you have difficulty in your life, and maybe even subconsciously you believe this as well. Maybe you wouldn't say it out loud, but maybe you believe it subconsciously. That when you have difficulty in your life, you are doing something wrong. So we're going to look at that tonight. You see, when you end up in the valley, you wonder, oftentimes, the question that the world teaches us to ask is, where did I go wrong? Now, some of you know my story. Some of you may not. And so for the sake of our conversation tonight, I'm going to share some parts of my story again. But Uh, God called us, uh, you know, we had two small, very small children at the time. God called me and my family, my wife and kids, to move to Virginia from Mississippi. And so we moved from Mississippi to Virginia. We were serving on staff at the time. I, you know, had a good job and, you know, everything was fine. Life was fine. And we went to a service and uh, a message was shared and in the message, they shared the verse, 2 Samuel 24, 24. I will not offer a sacrifice to God if it doesn't cost me something. And so God used that verse to challenge me, to say, Matt, to follow me cost. You know, the Bible says in Luke that if any man wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And so the challenge for me was that, what does it cost you? That to follow Jesus, there's a cost. And so I began to pray, God, what is it that you want me to do? What is it that you want me to do? God, I will do what you want me to do. Just show me what you want me to do. 
And I was very willing to do that. And so I felt as though that God called us to quit everything, to sell everything. And what we couldn't sell, we actually built a fire in our backyard and lit on fire. And we moved to Virginia. We moved 800 miles sight unseen to where we felt God was calling us to go. Now, there's, it's an amazing story of, of all the details of that uh, and how God brought us there. And so we get to Virginia. We know no one, not a single person in the entire city. We've never seen the place that we're about to go live. We rented it online, which is a whole other story. Uh, but so here we have this place that God has called us to. 800 miles away, no job, no money, have no idea where we're going to live. Here's what we know God said to go. Now, there were many people in our life who said God did not say to go. There were many people in our life, they weren't, uh, you know, giving us Christian advice, if you will, that said, oh, well, you know, the weather's bad there or, you know, whatever. But I was committed that this is what God called me to do. Now, my circumstances did not indicate that that is what God called me to do. We still had a house back home that we couldn't sell, and, you know, sale after sale kept falling through. And so now, I'm at, now I have two places of living, no job and no prospect of earning money. And I'm a full-time student. You know, figure that out, right? And so here we are 800 miles away trying to figure out. And so um, we felt like we began to be attacked. I, I had some uh, health problems, which I've never had health problems. I began to have health problems. And so I began to question, where did we go wrong? So guess what I did? I hunkered down and prayed for, no, I didn't do that. I did what the flesh wants us to do. I started looking for a way out. I'm just being honest with you. So I was like, okay, well, if this, if this right here is wrong, then I've got to find a way that's right. And so I start, so we're in Virginia, and so I thought, well, maybe I was geographically incorrect. Maybe it was North Carolina that God wanted us to move to. And so we went down to North Carolina and visited a college in North Carolina. And I was sick the whole time while we were in North Carolina. And I felt God say, just trust me. And so we go back, and then uh, through a series of events, God begins to work things out. And then guess what happened? It got more difficult. It got more difficult. And, but here's the difference. Here's what happened. So we moved. I began to question. God said, trust me. God showed me. God confirmed to me, this is what I called you to do. And so when it got more difficult, it was easy. Oh, it was impossibly hard. But it was what God had called me to do. And my resolve to follow him and to do what he called me to do was a 10 out of a 10. I could have charged hell with a water pistol at that moment. I was ready. Because why? Because I knew in the midst of that, this is what God called me to do. And that's what I want to help you with tonight. I want you to have resolve in the midst of the valley to say, no, this is where God has me. And I will resolve to do what God has called me to do. So we're going to look at what that looks like in your life and, and how you can respond to that. You see, it is true that some valleys are the result of a wrong turn. You can decide your way into the valley. You can do that. If you believe when you're in the valley that it's because you made a wrong turn, here are the consequences for that. You will miss out on uh, on a very important spiritual lessons that God has for you. You will never learn conflict resolution. You will never learn trust. You will never learn discernment. 
you will never learn perseverance. If you are always trying to get out of the valley, instead of seeing what God has to say to you in the valley, you will never learn those important principles. The second thing is, you will never develop the character that God desires for you. You will never develop godly character. You will only act in your own best interest in an attempt to always avoid the valley. So it's important that you know how to respond when you're in the valley. Because if you don't, you will never become who God wants you to be. And your character will never develop into how God wants it to be. And so as we look at this tonight, we we think about this valley means a wrong turn. Well, this view, it encourages this self-centered decision-making process to get out of the valley. Because what happens, if you believe that a wrong turn led you to the valley, and that's your, your concept of God, every time you get in the valley, you're going to be looking for ways to help you and you only. You're going to try to figure out, how can I get out of this? What can I do to get out of this situation? How can I prevent this from happening again? You see, when we attempt to always get out of the valley, here's what happens. <clears throat> we never experience God's deliverance. We never experience God's deliverance in the valley. So if you always try to avoid the valley, how will God ever rescue you? Now, it's impossible to do that. But you see what I'm saying? That if we're always looking for self-centered decisions in order to avoid the valley, well, then you're never allowing God an opportunity to do something in your valley. Years ago, I was talking to a friend of mine, and uh, he was uh, without a job. He lost his job, and he was looking for another job. And uh, so he's trying to figure out, you know, what does this job situation look like? And so here's what he did. He went out, and he applied for like 50 jobs, literally. And I said, you know, so the whole time I'm, I'm listening, I'm listening, and I said, can I tell you something? And he said, well, yeah, what? I said, where is God in that? He says, well, I mean, i got to have a job. I said, I didn't, I didn't ask if you had to have a job. I said, where is God in that? And he says, what do you mean? I said, how will you ever know if God did something when you're doing everything possible to get all the credit for something God could do, right? That we go out and we try to fix every situation in case this one thing doesn't work out. Where is trust? Well, it's because you've lived a life of get out of the valley zone. And you've never planted yourself and say, God, why am I here? What are you doing in my life here? You see, for us, in order for God to do a miracle in our life, well, a miracle requires a mess. There's got to be problems in your life in order for God to solve the problems in your life. How did you get saved? You got saved when you realized you were lost, right? Miracles require a mess, Salvation requires a lost soul. So you have to be in a condition to where you submit yourself to the lordship of Jesus and confess the reality that you are a sinner. That was Nicodemus' problem in John 3. Jesus, we've been listening to you, and we believe that you are a good person. And Jesus said, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. Look, we can talk about all the Pharisees, and we can talk about all your pals, but this is not about me and we. This is about me and you, right? And so when we talk about this in the situations that we find ourselves in, that we have to be willing to submit to that, that, God, things are bad. We have to be honest about the assessment. You see, this view that wrong turns lead to the valley, 
It implies that there's something that those who are in the valley have done is wrong. Now, look, we're going to talk about it, but you can be in the valley by no fault of your own. There's a lot of situations that warrant that. You see, it's easy for us to apply this mentality that wrong turns lead to the valley and that it's normal to go through the valley as a believer. It's easy for us to say, oh, you're in the valley. It's normal. Well, it's not normal if it happens to you, right? If we had a list tonight for all those that are willing to go to the valley this weekend, who's signing up, right? Nobody. Nobody's signing up for that. You see, in 1 Corinthians 16, the Bible says, Paul says, but I will stay in Ephesus. Remember, he wrote Corinthians from Ephesus. He says, I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. And what does he say? I've quoted this a few times. He says this, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me. An open door. And what does he say at the end of that verse? And there are many adversaries. Not advocates, adversaries. He says this big door is open. This wide door, that's what we all look for is an open door, right? With this wide door is open. And in the door, there are many adversaries. Who looks at a wide open door and says, this is where God wants me to go because there's opposition? Most people don't. Most people say, As long as the path is clear, this is what God wants me to do. That's what people called us in Virginia. Look, I know things aren't going the way that you thought. Obviously, that's not what God wanted you to do, right? If the path is not clear, then that's not what God wants me to do. That's what a lot of people believe. And so here is the principle. You see, Paul believed that God had called him to minister at Ephesus. And he knew there would be great opposition. So here's the principle. Open doors are not always God's will. Open doors are not always God's will. You see, oftentimes Paul says, hey, this wide door is open to me, and there are many adversaries. Our interpretation of that is God opened a door with no adversaries, or God opened a door with many advocates. God, I need people that are going to pave the way for me. They're going to make it easy. But what if it is God calling you to blaze the path yourself? What if God is calling you to be the first person in your family to walk with him? What if God is calling you to stop the generational sin that is recurring in your family? What if God is calling you to be different than anyone in your family has ever been before? What if it's you? And what if your family says, you've lost your mind, or you're a religious zealot, or there's no way it's worth giving this or doing that for the gospel? You have to decide, is it really true? Do I really believe God is who he said he is? Do I really believe when he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, that that applies to the valley? Do I believe that? You will find yourself in a situation, and you'll have to answer that question. In Exodus chapter 33, the Israelites were acting up. And so here they're going to go into the promised land. And so Moses, you know, and I'm paraphrasing these situation so that for the sake of time so you can go back and look Exodus 33 and so the Bible says so the Israelites are going they're not acting the way that God wants them to act and here's what God says to Moses in verse 1 depart he says going up there you and the people who you brought out of the land of Egypt to the land that I swore to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob saying your offspring I will give it 
He says, go. And then in verse 2, he says, not only do I want you to go, I'll send an angel with you. Verse 2, he says, I'll send an angel before you, and I'll drive out all the ites. And then he says, verse 3, go up to the land. But then in verse 3, he says, I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. What am I telling you tonight? That sometimes you can ask for an open door, and you'll get exactly what you want. The Israelites were doing things their way. They wanted an open door, and God said, you know what? Here's an open door, and not only is the door going to open for you, I'll send an angel with you, but I'm not going with you. You see, a lot of people, let's be real honest, we're chair to chair here, right? A lot of people want an open door, and they want to follow their desires, and they don't want to follow God's desires, and they're more content with God opening doors than being in His presence. And what did Moses say? He said, if you ain't going, I ain't going. That's a good South Mississippi preacher's term, right? You ain't going, I ain't going. God, I'm not going if your presence is not there. I don't want to be where you're not, God. But, oh, that's not us. God, I want an open door. I want you to pave the way, God. I want you to make it smooth. I want you to make it easy. God says, you want an open door? Here you go. I'm just not going with you. You see, the longer or the deeper the valley is, the more we tend to believe something is wrong. And sometimes we cause our own valleys. It's true. You can make a wrong turn, end up in the valley, your fault. I can make a wrong turn, end up in the valley, my fault. Sometimes we cause our own valleys. Sometimes the world, the fallen world that we live in causes our valleys. And sometimes there's no explanation for your valley. So here's what we need to know. What we need to know is when, and I think this is the next blank on your handout, but I don't think it's going to come up on the screen. When, not if, we are in a valley, how do we respond in a way that honors God, allows God to grow us, and help us get out of the valley as soon as it is appropriate? Is that on your handout? No? Yes? All right. So what we need to know is when not if we are in the valley, how we can respond in a way that honors God, that allows, us, uh, allows God to grow us, and helps us to get out of the valley as soon as it is appropriate. And so how do we do that? So we're getting to the meat of the message tonight. How do we do it? Well, here's what we do. We need to ask three questions, and they're all on your handout. Three questions when we're in the midst of the valley. All right, here we go. That was all introduction, by the way. Not really. All right, here we go. Number one, why am I here? You got to know, why am I here? Number one, why am I here? Then the situation that I'm in, we're going to assess. I'm in the valley. And whatever's happened in your life, you're going to look around. You got to figure out, why am I here? So what are some reasons that you would be in the valley? Well, one of the first reasons is God sent you there. So why am I in this valley? Did God send me in this valley? Is that why I'm here? Did God send me in this valley? You see, some valleys that you find yourselves in, those are the God sent me here valleys. Those are the God sent me here valleys. You see, when God called us to Virginia, 
and everything started falling apart, and we felt isolated, and we're dealing with, you know, health issues. In the midst of that, we were exactly where God had led us and exactly where God wanted us to be. These valleys, the God sent me here valleys, they are a direct result of doing exactly what God said to do. Paul, what we just read in Acts, is in the middle of a God sent me here valley. That God called Paul to go to Ephesus at the right time. Paul responded at the right time, and Paul went to Ephesus. So did God send Paul to Ephesus? Yes. And Paul ended up staying several years in Ephesus to minister to that church. So here's Paul doing what God called him to do. Why am I here? Did God send me here? Yes, God sent Paul. The second question in the why am I here, well, did God send me here? Well, the key obedience to God sending you into the valley is what? Well, the key indicator in these valleys is obedience that appears to have backfired. Remember what I said. God called me to Virginia. I get to Virginia, and what do I do? I feel like my obedience backfired. Paul gets to Ephesus. There's conflict. There's a riot. Obedience seems to have backfired. So he asked, did God send me here? All right, so you say, well, no, God didn't send me here. Well, then why am I here? Well, did I mess up? Did I make a mistake? Did I do something wrong? You see, the Southern Baptist knee-jerk reaction is to what? It's the same thing as the enemy. It's to blame God. Sometimes God is the cause, but sometimes we are the cause. You see, this is self-induced darkness that follows a bad decision. Look, we are terrible. We are terrible at confessing our sin. We are terrible at confessing our sin. Now, look, I am the number one advocate for not uh, giving sin glory. But we don't want to admit our sin. We don't listen. I grew up in the rededication era, okay? Hopefully you've never heard of that word. I grew up in the rededication era. What is that? It's where God convicts me of my sin, and what do I do? I make up a word to condone my sin, to erase my sin away so that I can be right before God again, at least in my own mind, right? It's that I want to rededicate my life instead of what? Repenting. Instead of saying, yes, I messed up. I made a mistake. I sinned before God. It was me. It was me who messed up. And God, I'm sorry. And person who I offended, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. And we own it. But we don't want to do that anymore. We want to explain away. We want to explain away our sin. You see, most of the valleys in King David's life were a result of, a direct result of his doing. A direct result of that. Thankfully, it is easy to find the connection from the valley to the decision that you made when we're in the midst of this. You see, when we look at these situations and we find ourselves in this situation, here's what we have to do. We know in our heart of hearts that we made the wrong turn because nine times out of ten, it was intentional rebellion that got you there. That you're there on purpose. That whatever it is that caused you, if you made the mistake, if you messed up in the valley, 
if it wasn't God who sent you there, but it was your decision who sent you there, you know what you did. You've just got to be willing to confess it. You see, if you don't know what you did, guess what God will do? He'll show you. He'll show you. How do I know that? Well, remember David. A lot of his troubles were his own doing. David uh, had a great sin, and he sinned with Bathsheba. And you know the story with Uriah, right? And so he had Uriah killed, which was her husband. And so Uriah's dead. Now Bathsheba is his wife. And so God sends the prophet Nathan to David. And what does he say? David, imagine if there was this situation where this, this situation happened. And David said to condemn the person who did what David did. And what did Nathan say? Bro, it's you. It's you, man. You did that. He was confronted with the reality of his own sin. God used Nathan to show him it was you who did that. 2 Samuel chapter 12, he says, you are the man. And so, how do, you know, if we're in this situation, what do we have to do? Well, the only way, what we have to do is we have to say, all right, well, I know it was me who did that. God is showing this to me. I've got to repent. Repentance is the only way to get back on track. It's the only way to get back on track. The slides are uh, not cooperating. David's a way to get back on track. And so when we look at those situations, we say, okay, well, did God send me here? All right, why am I here? Did God send me here? Okay, no, it wasn't God who sent me here. Did I mess up? Did I make a mistake? Was that because of me? And then the third thing is, well, is this beyond my understanding? Is this beyond my understanding? Remember, sometimes it's our fault. Sometimes God sends us there. And sometimes we don't understand why we're there. So is this beyond my understanding? So if it's not the God sent me here valley, well, this is the who knows why valley. This is the who knows why valley. A great example of the who knows why valley is Job. Many terrible things happened in Job's life. And what you see in Job's life, the response of his friends was to not say anything because there was nothing to say. And so they sat with Job for many chapters. And then you get to the end of Job in 41 and 42, and God says, basically, Job, who are you to question me? And there's this conversation where Job says, you know what, you're right, God. You know, it, it's your way. And what, God, I'm going to submit to your way and whatever you want to do. And the Bible says that God restored Job. And, you know, you see multiple fold that God restored Job at the end. But here's what, here's what happened. God never says, Job, let me tell you why I did that. Let me explain to you how these things happen. He did not do that. It was beyond Job's understanding. And sometimes we find ourselves in the who knows why valley, and we don't know why God did, does what he does. And so in the midst of that situation, we have to say this, all right, well, why am I here? Was it God who sent me? Did I mess up? Do I not understand the situation? So then what do we do? Why am I here? Then number two, how do I respond? How do I respond to this situation? You see, the natural tendency in the valley is to find the quickest route out. The natural tendency in the valley is to find the quickest way out. When we lived in Virginia, we would go hiking a lot, and there was a trail 
there was a trail in Virginia called the Peaks of Otter. And so we would take the Peaks of Otter route sometimes. And um, if you remember, I've shared a story from the Peaks of Otter. I shared even a picture one time where uh, Natalie broke the water bottle on the way up. I shared that story one time. And so we, we climbed up Peaks of Otter. It's, it's pretty, uh, it's about 4,000 plus feet. Uh, and so we hiked up uh, Peaks of Otter. And at the top of Peaks of Otter, there's a lookout on one side of the mountain. And you can look out and 33 miles away is Liberty Mountain, which is Liberty University is where I went to school. And so there's Liberty Mountain in Lynchburg, Virginia. It's 33 miles from Peaks of Otter to Liberty Mountain. If you go to that side of the mountain where you hike up, you can see Liberty Mountain. It's an incredible view. It's, it's a long way away, 33 miles. But you can see Liberty Mountain. You see, when we, we want the quickest way, right? There is another way to hike to go up to the top of Peaks of Otter. You can take a bus up Peaks of Otter, which brings you to the other side of the mountain. Guess what's not on the other side of the mountain? The 33-mile view of Liberty Mountain. You see, when you take the easy way, you're going to miss a lot of things along the way. You're going to miss the views that God has in store for you. You're going to miss the experiences that God has planned for you, the things that God wants to bless you with, the things that God wants to be a part of your life, the things that God wants to use to develop your character. If you've never climbed a 4,000-foot mountain with two toddlers, you've never had your character developed. All right, and so there's things that God wants to show you along the path, and so you've got to say, God, in this situation, I don't want to find the quickest way out. God, if I'm going to be in the middle of this valley, God, I want it to count. God, I want to learn something from this situation. God, I want to know what you're doing in the midst of this. And so we, when we get in this situation, we say, well, do I just hang in there? So what do we do? When do we hang tough? When do we hang tough? Well, when you are in the middle of the God sent me here valley, hang in there. When you're in the middle of the God sent me here valley, remember what I told you. We went to Virginia. Things were bad. Then God confirmed it. And then what happened? It got worse. But guess what? I cemented myself. I put cement on my feet and said, I'm not going anywhere. This is where God called me to be. It increased my resolve in the situation. So our response is not, how fast can I get out of here? But our response is, God, if you brought me here, I'm hanging in here. Look at Daniel. The Israelites were uh, brought captive, and uh, Nebuchadnezzar brings them in. You know the story in Daniel. And, and they, there was many things that they did with Daniel. Daniel, you can't pray. What did Daniel do? Daniel prayed. Daniel, you can't pray. They made this decree, and they threw him in the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you, you can't serve God. And what do they do? They resolve to follow God. So when God sends you in the midst of those places, just like, you know, everybody loves Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, which was written to the Israelites in captivity. Okay? And so when we're in the midst of those situations where God sent me here, we have to hang in there. Now, it's not, it's not easy to do that. But the path of disobedience is far, worth, far worse than a valley called death. To get in, it would have been real easy for Daniel to say, you know what, 30 days is not really a long time. I cannot pray for 30 days. It would have been easy to compromise. It would have been real easy to compromise. But the path of disobedience was far worse 
to Daniel. You see, we should never judge the appropriateness of our obedience by the short-term or the long-term results. We should always judge the appropriateness of our obedience by eternity. You see, so many times we want to look at the the quick fix. What is the short-term result of this? When do we hang in there? We hang in there when God sends you there. Well, when do we change direction? Well, if you're in the I messed up valley, you should always change direction. If you're in the I messed up valley, you should always change direction. Well, how do you do that? How do you change direction in the I messed up valley? Well, the first thing, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, is you have to take personal responsibility. You have to take personal responsibility. So the Israelites were always getting in trouble in the Old Testament. And I think I put this scripture reference there for you in Judges chapter 10. It says, the people of Israel, verse 6, they again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served Baals and Ashtaroth, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites, the gods of the Philistines. They forsook the Lord and did not serve him. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of the Philistines and into the hands of the Ammonites. And they crushed and oppressed the people of Israel that year. For 18 years they oppressed all the people of Israel who were beyond the Jordan in the land of the Amorites, which is in Gilead. And the Ammonites crossed the Jordan to fight also against Judah and against Benjamin and against the house of Ephraim. So the Israel was severely distressed. Okay? So Israel's been disobeying God. So this is the I messed up valley. They've been disobeying God. And in verse 10, what do they do? It says, the people of Israel cried out to the Lord saying, we have sinned against you because we have forsaken our God and we have served the Baals. And the Lord said to the people, did I not save you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites and the Ammonites and the Philistines and the Sidonites, uh, the Sidonians also and the Amalekites and the Moanites oppressed you and you cried out to me and I saved you out of their hand. Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will not save you anymore. Go and cry out to the gods whom you have chosen. Let them save you in the time of your distress. And the people of Israel said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do to us whatever seems good to you. Only please deliver us this day. And what did they do? So they put away the foreign gods from among them, and they served the Lord. You see, you have to take personal responsibility in the I messed up valley. And it's not lip service. The Israelite says, oh God, we made a mistake. We shouldn't have done that. And he said, oh really? Well, why do you have the gods, uh, the, the shrines of the other gods back there in your closet? I told you what I required of you. And you think you're playing me by using the other gods that you're worshiping all the while you want me to rescue you. Lip service. That you have to take responsibility for your own actions. You see, here's here's Matt's opinion, all right? So we're going to take a time out, and we're just going to give you Matt's opinion for a second, all right? I believe it's true, but do with it what you will. Here's what I think. I think most people do everything they can to avoid the valley. And you say, well, what's wrong with that? Well, here's what's wrong with it. 
I think it's almost impossible to serve God until you've been in the valley. I think it's impossible. I think it's impossible because you've never come to a point in your walk with God to where you have to depend upon God. If everything in your life has always been provided for you, or you've got some fix-it man in your life who always fixed everything in your life, and you've never been in the valley, then I'd say it's really, really hard. What I want to say is impossible, but it's really, really, really hard to walk with Jesus when you don't know what it's like to be rescued. You see, when you are in the valley, look around. You are not the only one there. You're not the only one there. In the valley, not only are there other people who've made mistakes, but there are some people there who God sent there. And the Bible, just like in Acts 17, where God told Paul, I've got people everywhere. I've got people in this city. God has people in the valley that he will teach you with, that he will lead you with, that he will help you with. But in the valley, you've got to go to the valley. You see, the valley seems uncomfortable. And unfortunately, in this world, it is normal in a broken world to have the valley. And sometimes God uses these in our lives to teach us and to grow us, to draw us to himself. I would even add that a lot of people see the valley coming, and here's what they do. They grab the safety net. They pull the card. I can't take it. They cry, uncle. I can't take it anymore. It's too much. I'm bailing. And you never hit the bottom. Now, look, here, I, I want to be honest. I love you. I do not want you to hit the bottom. That's not what I'm telling you. But what I'm telling you is this, that when you are in the valley, don't try to stop the valley. Don't try to stop the valley. When you are falling into the valley, go to the bottom. Let it go. You see, you want control of the valley. You want to control the damage in the valley. You want to control who's in the valley. You want to control how long you're in the valley. You want to control what happens in the valley. But when you just say, God, I'm in the valley, and I don't understand this, or God, I made a mistake, or God, you brought me here, but God, you do what you do because you're God, and I trust you, and I love you, and I know more importantly that you love me. But we want to stop the valley. I know so many situations where people were falling into the valley, and what did they do? They pulled the help me card, and we all want to do that. Don't misunderstand me. But we pull the help me card, and, we, and you never see them learn the lesson. It's as though nothing ever happened. Listen, when you've been in the valley, you've got a I've been in the valley t-shirt, and you wear it everywhere. Because when you've been in the valley, you are so proud of what God has done in your life, and you want everybody to know about it. I would tell the Virginia story every day of my life if I could. Because it was a valley that God used in my life greatly. It was one of the most difficult things I've ever done, and it was one of the most amazing things that I've ever done. But if you never let go and you never fall all the way to the bottom, guess what? You'll never experience all the things that God has in store for you. When things have fallen apart, let God put them back together. Let God catch you. Let God catch you. You cannot be found unless you're lost. Stop putting the safety nets out. Where is the trust in your faith? To say, God, I don't understand this. 
But God, I'm not going to try to fix something that you're doing in my life. That's why you're God. So how do we respond to that? Well, we trust God. If you made a mistake, take personal responsibility. And then number two, make some serious changes. If it's your fault that you're in the valley, confess it. Repent of it. Admit it. Let it be what it is. And then change. Make serious changes. Now, here's what's going to happen. You're in the valley. It's difficult. You made a mistake. You're there. You want to make changes. Here's what happens. You know what's going to happen? The enemy's going to show up and say, I know of a shortcut. You actually don't have to confess your sin. Just repent to God. You don't have to apologize. Just pretend it never happened. Just be nice to them the next time you see them, right? Shortcuts. That's just a couple of examples. The enemy's going to come in, and he's going to say, here's a shortcut. You don't have to make any changes. Nobody has to know about this. You, you don't have to do anything that's going to draw attention to yourself. Man, what would people think if, if you've been in church all your life, and then you confess that you're actually not a follower of Jesus, and then you get to say, man, what will people think of you, Right? That's what the enemy's going to do. What is the shortest route out? We just went through that. In order for you to make serious changes, you can't take the shortcut. No, you've got to take the path of obedience. And the path of obedience is what? It is submission. It is forgiveness. It is lordship. That's the path of obedience. You've got to make serious changes. You see, when the, when the enemy offers you a shortcut, it will always include compromise, and disobedience. You have to be honest about what is happening in your life. You have to be forthright about that. Because here's the deal. When you commit your life to follow Jesus, the Bible says that you are not your own. You are bought with a price. And that price was the shed blood of Jesus on a cross one Friday afternoon for six hours. All right, that's what that was. And so for you and for me, in order for us to say that we're followers of Jesus, which is lip service, which as Pastor Tony said this past Sunday, it is committing, which is a lot easier than completing. I can say I want to be obedient, but I've got to complete that for it to be true. You have to make serious changes in your life in the I messed up valley. So why am I here? Number two, how do I respond? And last but not least, what can I learn? What can I learn? God, what are you showing me? God showed me in Virginia not to depend upon Matt. God showed me in Virginia, do not depend upon your circumstances. God showed me in Virginia that God can do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think. God showed me in Virginia, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God showed me many things in the valley, many things in the valley. What can I learn? God, what am I doing in this situation? Don't turn around and run out and forget everything that you learned in that situation. Look around. God, what is it that you're showing me here? Go to someone who's been in that valley before and say, what did God show you? Help me see what God wants me to see here. But be honest about it. Be humble about it. Be willing God, what are you showing me? You see, our greatest desire is to learn to be satisfied, not from our circumstances, 
but by the overwhelming presence of our Savior. That is our greatest desire. God told the Israelites in in Exodus 33, fine, here's an open door and here's an angel escort, but I'm not going. And Moses said, neither am I. Right? For you and for me, when we're in the midst of that valley, it is not God, would you open a door and send an angel to escort me? It is God, would you be with me in this moment? God, would your presence be so tangible in this moment, God, that I would draw nearer to you, that I would see you for who you are in this moment, God, that I would see myself for who I am in this moment. Isn't that what happened when you got saved? Isn't that what happened? That you came to the reality that you were a sinner separated from God. And in that moment, it wasn't perfection that you desired. It was the presence of Jesus. And that is the only thing that satisfies. So when you're in the valley and things are falling apart all, of around, all around you, know this, God loves you. And that he has a plan in the midst of that, that he will work in your life, that he will provide a way for you in that. But there's probably something in the valley that he's showing you. And so in the midst of that, seek not the exit, but seek his presence in the midst of that. And you'll find everything you ever hoped for and dreamed of. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the reality of your presence.